for podcasting. The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mint. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. Millery Condon, 11 o'clock hours, just past 11, 5 after to be exact, as we take you until just before noon on Des Moines Sports Station 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. In about 15 minutes or thereabouts, we will have our friend Zuba Mahente from ESPN uh, join the program. We'll go around the world of sports with Zuba. Normally, over the last what, three weeks or so we've been carrying uh, Governor Reynolds' press conference at this time, but she is uh, out of the state uh, today in Washington meeting with the president and the vice president. Uh, but the Iowa Department of Health, and we won't linger on this, we'll just put this out there for those of you who are used to it at this time, uh, 293 new cases of COVID-19 uh, brings the total to 10,404, 12 deaths overnight, uh, that number now 219. So two. 293 uh, new cases. I don't have the breakdown where they are, but uh, in the state of Iowa. But 219 people have lost their lives. I think Polk County is now just behind. Is it Lynn County that has the most? And I think Polk is sitting second. And and it feels like uh, Polk certainly continues to rise. We both saw... There was a tweet in some of the problem areas in the country. Well, Perry, yeah, right at the top of that list. Uh, Chicago... And Des Moines were right, mentioned came, nationally. Yeah, that came from the vice president and his task force that yeah. uh, their concern, or was it, uh, what's, the, what's the female doctor's name? Um, Deborah, anyways. You You're know. the one that watches it. All I the time. know, uh, Dr. Doctor Deborah. Um, Pensonhurst said that uh, Chicago, Illinois, and Des Moines are the two areas they're watching the closest. So uh, keep that in the back of your minds. Yeah. Is, um, what, what the, if you choose. Uh, let's move on, Trent Condon. We ended the hour talking about contracts, fifth-year options that weren't picked up. And I, I didn't have the number in front of me, so I looked during the, during the break. Fourteen first-round picks did not have their fifth-year option picked up, um, which had to happen by Monday of this week. So 14 first-rounders will be free agents after this year. Here's the crazy part of this list. We know that Miles Garrett, who went number one, mm-hmm. he's good. But picks two, three, four, and five. I mean, think about that. Swing and a miss by the Bears with Trubisky. Yep. Swing and a miss by the Niners on uh, Solomon Thomas. They moved down. They moved down. They and did still get, missed. And still missed. Leonard Fournette from Jacksonville did not have it. Corey Davis from Tennessee. Bust. Bust. But then it gets good. I mean, for at least for a few picks, mm-hmm. especially Jamal Adams with the Jets. I think he's a great player. Excellent, yes. Uh, Mike Williams has been hurt a lot with the Chargers, but... When he's healthy, big play dude. Absolutely. Here's the big one. Eighth, eighth overall, uh, Christian McCaffrey. Now we get to a speedster, John Ross. Uh-huh. No, no, no thanks. Declined. Uh, Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, they, they wrestled with the decision, Trent, but the Chiefs <laughs> decided, you know what, let's take a chance on this kid. Haven't seen enough of him quite yet, but they think that... Uh, that yeah. Please. Uh, that was a no-brainer. Um, Lattimore, excellent. Yeah, good player. Deshaun Watson, of course. I don't have to remind you, he went 12th overall. Then it was the Cardinals, and they took Hassan Reddick. He's oh, done. I've, I've never heard of that guy. I feel like, I mean, there's some of those names that, uh-huh. oh, boy. I I don't remember never, his, his NFL career. I, I don't. I've seen Cardinal games mm-hmm. late afternoon. 
the main game's a blowout, flip over to the Cardinals. Right. I don't remember Hassan Reddick. Played at Temple, right? I think Is that played, what it was? Yeah, played, played at Temple. Barnett, uh, of all, he's, mm-hmm. uh, the Eagles are all in on him. Hooker with the Colts, he's out. Marlon Humphrey with the Ravens, they like him. Jonathan Allen, Redskins defensive lineman, I think he's a really good player. Yeah. Here's the one that surprised me a little bit. Um, wasn't O.J. Howard on the block in Tampa Bay? He and was. Gronkowski's yeah. going to be the guy there. Mm-hmm. But they reached out and said, yeah, we want, we want to keep you. Cheap. I, I guess that's the reason behind it, and maybe he has a little bit more viability if there is a trade this summer. Yeah, having that option already. You, you got to figure out what Gronkowski is now. He lost a lot of weight. Well, he's a favorite to be the comeback player of the year. You've seen oh, that, yes, right? Of course, yeah. Lost a lot of weight, but he's put putting he's putting it back on, right? But when he comes back, Gronk was a ridiculous athlete mm-hmm. receiver, but, but he was an excellent blocker too. How quickly does that come back after a year away? Well, the receiving part will be there for sure. You would think so, yeah. yeah. Um, here's my biggest worry with him, Trent, is, the, and I know he took a year off, mm-hmm. uh, so that's good for him. He has that in the plus column. His body, I'm sure he did some damage to it on his own. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the, the football damage wasn't there. Uh, look, if, if indeed this rumor is true, and I, I, I don't buy it. I do not buy yet that the Chiefs, that the NFL is going to uh, manipulate the NFL schedule no, it, because when we knew we knew the opponents, we know who every team is going to play. We right. know where those games are going to be held. You're going to be home or you're going to be away. Well, the Chiefs were scheduled to play in Tampa this year, but the rumor, and I, I'm not buying it, um, from earlier this morning was that the NFL has decided and the Chiefs and the Buccaneers have worked out an agreement that Tampa is going to go on the road. And so, what does that do? Does that give Kansas City nine home games? That's not fair. Uh, you can't do that. It would have to be something else with the schedule. Yeah, I, I just can't, I can't buy this. And it's like you said, it's a rumor that's out there. Every four years, you get an opportunity for the teams from the other conference to come through. So you're talking about another four years down the line. You're pushing it back and then flip-flopping Kansas City and Tampa when they play then. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't seem plausible. Fox? Is Fox going to give up that game to give it to NBC for Thursday Night Football? Well, you're the GM of Fox. What are you doing? Nope. (laughs) Thanks for the phone call. We're good. Thank you, though. Well, look, if the NFL wants, they're going to get a big number anyway, but can you imagine? Actually, that'd be a CBS game. You you might or might not be because the rules have changed. Um, I mean, Brady versus Mahomes in night one? I think it's good. What that number's going to do. Number's going to be good regardless. That's, so. I agree. I agree. You but, can plug yeah. basically anything there in the Chiefs schedule, and it's going to get a great number. Mm. It's the NFL. Yeah, it's the NFL. Um, one thing that we would, uh, I meant to bring up when we were talking gambling sports yeah. wagering in the first uh, in the first segment, it sounds as though Vegas is bound and determined by Memorial Day in some shape, form, or fashion. By the way, have you seen the new poker table? No, I have not. Um, and, and it's all over Twitter. So essentially, there is plexiglass between beside you. Mm-hmm. So you're in a cubicle, okay? Yeah, a yeah. plexiglass. Mm-hmm. I mean, the dealer's protected. Yep. The guy to your left, or the gal, uh, the person to your right, you are going to be protected from from them. Interesting. I don't know how you're doing. Do you, is same thing for blackjack table. I, I think for everything. Yeah. So me, I like to go to the craps table. Mm-hmm. So see, what are you going to do there? I mean, same kind of. Th- well, then you got to throw the dice. You throw it over the top of your plexiglass. Uh. I don't know. 
And what if it's you throw your, it underneath? You got a little slot there that you're tossing your and, dice. And what about when the dice come to you? What are you going to do? Eh, no thanks, I'm good. Make Give sure you guy. sanitize those. Yeah. Uh, there are a number of properties that uh, allegedly will not open up. Oh really? That are going to remain shuttered. Yeah. Uh, in Las Vegas, the Palms. Which really? is a mass, mm-hmm. they just spent massive amount of money redoing that. Now it's off the strip. This is the property that the Maloof brothers, mm-hmm. remember the Maloof brothers? What oh, did, who do they own? The, the Sacred Kings. The Kings, right? And they, they made all their money in, I want to say, they were a beer distributor. I think they had a Budweiser distributor. That sounds right, yep. In, in Northern California. And they built Palms Place and the Palms, uh, and it's been, they've sold it recently, but uh, that's not going to reopen. The Luxor, which is the, you know, the pyramid shaped yes. hotel down by, what's it next to? Mandalay Bay and right next to the Excalibur. And the Excalibur is also going to stay closed, apparently. So even though the strip is opening up, if you've got a go-to place, it's not a slam dunk that your go-to place is going to be open once Vegas does open. What would it take for you to take a trip? No, I'm not, I'm not. I wouldn't go to the office. I think I would quit. Really? Well, I they don't know if I'd we- quit. <laughs> I don't think I'd go that far. But um, You would definitely have a conversation, though. Your boss calls you. Can we do this on the phone? Yeah. Right? Can we do it on Zoom? Can we do it on Zoom? You want to see my bearded face? <laughs> you can see it this way. Yeah. I, I just Would you go? You love it. I I'm ready. Are you ready to I'm go ready. to Vegas? I found out uh, last weekend, my wife and I were just sitting talking, and we were talking about my birthday from last month, and mm-hmm. said we were going somewhere. Yep. And she still won't tell me where, but she had a trip planned for oh, my 40th. Oh, nice. Don't know what it was. Boy, but wouldn't that make sense, your 40th birthday? I mean, that I, I think you're yeah. probably on to something. So, 41st? Because I don't even... If, I was joking with my buddies, my 40th and a half birthday. Maybe we'll go in October, mm-hmm. and we'll go make a Vegas trip at that point. But even in October, and especially Vegas, I think Vegas is different. If, if I'm going somewhere to a beach, going to Mexico, doing something like that, maybe I'd be more... But Outdoors? Right. Where that's really what the vacation is about. Mm-hmm. But a vacation to Vegas, you're inside, and you're touching cards, and you're touching dice, mm-hmm. and you're hitting the buffet if, mm-hmm. if you have no, a nice No, buffets are done. Buffets are a thing of the past. And just completely off the if, table? If you are a fan of Vegas buffets, I know a lot of people love them. Oh, breakfast after a long yes. night of drinking. Where was your Where was your go-to a breakfast buffet? Cause well, we me, stayed at the Flamingo That wasn't years. bad. Yeah. I love the Flamingo. Yeah, so that's where we stayed uh-huh. in college and right after college. In fact, the weekend that we always went, Memorial Day weekend, uh-huh. Dan Weldon. Remember that uh, Dan Weldon's on Twitter all the time. Is that no, that's Dan Welter. Welter, okay. Dan Weldon, the IndyCar racer who passed away years oh, ago. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. His Indy 500 win. I hit him at 30 to one. <laughs> that was a nice trip when I hit that one going in. And the only reason that I bet on him because the race was on. Well, a that's a big part of it. <laughs> right. Yes. B is on my way to the airport. I was listening to a national broadcast and they had Dan Weldon on. Right as I was pulling into the parking lot, I said, "All right." I'll throw twenty bucks on this guy. Oh, wow. Six hundred bucks later, here wow. we go. Dan Weldon at the Flamingo. Uh, the Flamingo's pool is terrific. Yes, that's, really that nice. was the reason the that we always stayed there. Yeah, the, and look, you're you're right across the street from Caesar's Palace. Mm-hmm. Uh, the besides Caesar's Palace, of course, is a Mirage. Our favorite. Uh, Bellagio was next the other way mm-hmm. with the fountains. Now, did you get a strip view when you stayed at the Flamingo, or did you have a pool view? A pool view okay. is the way that we went. And our favorite place we would go is O'Shea's. Shady oh, O'Shea's, yeah. as we called it. What, uh, they play the Pong game yes, there, right? Yes, beer Pong yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beer Pong, long days of craps at the tables there. You had the open air right mm-hmm. there at the craps table mm-hmm. towards the front of it. Love that place. Cheap beer. 
even if you weren't gambling and, and we're gambling pretty much the whole time. But that was our shady, shady stop, shady O'Shea's. Nice, yeah. The Paris buffet to me for breakfast, and I'm, I'm not oh. a big buffet guy, but uh, we would. My wife loved it, and so we would end up at Paris for the Paris breakfast buffet. But yeah, they're done. Get some eggs, get some French toast, soak up some of that booze, and ready to go for another day. Yeah. No more. No, by the sounds of things, that is a thing of the past. All right, Zuba Mahente is going to join us here. We will get back into sports with Zuba. But I know a lot of folks go to Vegas out there, and that's mm-hmm. um, um, at least that's that, that's the plan. And they want to open by Memorial Day. I can't think of another city that potentially is going to be hit harder than Vegas, maybe? As far as loss of jobs, I mean, Trent, Orlando, because of yeah, Disney. Disney's big there. True. But, I mean, we're talking about the same realm. Right. I still put Vegas probably above it. I think of it. so too. I mean, Our, all the properties, all the mm-hmm. rooms, all the restaurants, the Uber, the cabs. Yeah, it's Vegas going to uh, Vegas. We'll see when It'll it comes back. Like it certainly will look different. Cakes and Owen iHeart want to help you with your bills. Uh, text the keyword. Thanks to 200. 200 right now. It's your chance to win $1,000. That's thanks to 200. 200. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. All right. Zuba Mahente is coming up next. Miller and Condon are with you until noon. It's Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.7. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. Sports Station, 1460 KXNOs. We take you until noon. Let's get our friend Zubin Mahente in here, ESPN. We've got a lot of ground to cover with Zubin. Zubin, Trent, and Ken. How are you doing, Zubin Mahente? Doing well, guys. What's up with you? Well, good to talk to you. I guess the uh, Jack Swarbrook from Notre Dame, apparently, uh, Notre Dame's AD, just got off a conference call within the last hour or so uh, with media pursuant to the college football season. And one of the takeaways from this, and this is a um, a quote from Swarbrick Zubin, significant chance 2020 begins without conferences playing simultaneously. So one conference could start when things get the all clear there. Maybe other conferences start a couple of weeks later. But perhaps uniformity in college football is at least to what we've seen of it. We know that you know not all conferences play the same amount of conference games, which is still needs to be changed. But uh, maybe more change coming to college football, according to Jack Swarbrick. That's an interesting one, because obviously he's the AD of a team that forever has not been in a conference. So it's an interesting sort of mention. Obviously, they do play five ACC games, but they're not a full member of at Notre Dame, but at the end of the day, I think what you're seeing is if you just kind of take a look at it with regard to the pandemic, if you take the biggest hotspot in the country, New York City, and its surrounding areas out, COVID tests are pretty much going up everywhere else. I'm, I've been following you guys. I have a lot of friends that live in Iowa. It seems like you guys haven't hit your peak yet. Um, There's a report the other day that we could experience almost 3,000 deaths a day until June 1, which would put us over 100,000. So I think it's an interesting comment to make just because you really have to interpret the comment based upon where you live. Like, I'll, I'll localize it. Like, Trent, I know you have some connections in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of the least restrictive states. So 
come on in. You want to play a game in Fayetteville? That's fine. And Ken, I know your son lives up in uh, North Idaho, but 150 miles west of Boise, or 150 miles east of Boise, is one of the biggest hot spots in the country, Blaine County. So sure, I'd love to roll on in there and play a game in Fayetteville because it doesn't seem to have a ton of cases at the moment. But do I want to fly into a place 150 miles away from the biggest hotspot in the country for another conference, which is the SEC for Arkansas or the Mountain West for Boise? So I think if you're listening to Jack Forbrick and you're living in Fayetteville, it means one thing. If you're living in Boise, it means another. If you're living in California, where Gavin Newsom said he doesn't think any of the NFL teams are going to play on Sunday, Mm -hmm. which would mitigate the chances of any college football team playing on Saturday, that means completely something else. And if you're in Florida, you're probably thinking, we could probably play any of these games, just not with fans. So it's an interesting comment by Swarbrick, but if you just go around the country, hopscotch, pick a city, pick a league, his words really vary on their meaning just because this is such a local issue at this point. There's the financial component, which continues to be a huge one for you at ESPN and, of course, uh, all the programming that goes into it. It feels like if we get sports, when we get sports back, at least initially it's going to be with no fans. They're not going to be there. There's not going to be people inside the building, outside of the staff and the people actually playing the games. How long can that last, though? How, how viable is that? And for you at ESPN, you got to figure yeah, the crowd noise and the people and the, that, that you cut away and the fans in the stands, that's important, but ultimately it's about the people between the lines. Yeah, I would say two things. One, I think it absolutely could go on for a while because every survey that I've seen that's been done, and I know we're all inundated with surveys at this point, but every survey I've seen with regard to fans attending sporting events is that they're overwhelmingly very skeptical and leery of going to games. Now, again, based upon when the question is asked, how it's asked, if somebody were to give you two tickets to an Iowa game on the 50-yard line, would that change your opinion Hmm. if fans were allowed in when you're answering that question months ago based upon the information we have today, which is that the virus is not going away and a second surge could be coming. But every survey I have seen, it's not even close. Overwhelmingly, people don't want to go to restaurants. They don't want to go to games. They don't want to go on cruise ships. Airlines right now domestically have 17 passengers per flight average. International flights have 29. That's it. Uh, People do want to go, but just over half, 56%, and think about this, this is more of a livelihood issue, 56% of people are okay going to the grocery store, which obviously you need to go. But any of those other things I just mentioned, luxury items, going to games, vacations, anything where you could come into contact with people, People extremely are leery, according to the surveys, of doing that, so I wouldn't be surprised. I did hear, and if you guys have HBO or your listeners of HBO, or you can find it on YouTube, I think, actually, for free, last week on Real Sports with Brian Gumbel, great panel, Jim Nance, Joe Buck, and Mike Breen. And they just sat around wish... and they talked about you know, the return of sports. Yeah. And Buck said, one, uh, they're going to think about pumping crowd noise in. He said he can't mm-hmm. think about throwing a touchdown pass or calling a touchdown pass in the fourth quarter late to put a team ahead, and nothing happened. So he actually believes Fox might be able to, or should, pump in crowd noise artificially. It's not uncommon. You see it a lot on some of these sitcoms back in the day where they have like the laugh track, right, for somebody. <laughs> but he thinks they need to do that for sporting events. And Breen believes, although this has been done for quite a while from the Olympics to college hoops, Breen believes when he does start calling games again, and he's the number one play-by-play voice on the NBA, at whatever length of the schedule we're at, whether it's regular season or playoffs, he believes he'll be calling the game off of monitor. 
So in terms of essential huh. personnel, maybe the camera guys will be there. Uh, you'll have to have somebody there to be the liaison with the officials. So let's say there's a controversial, flagrant one foul. Van Gundy, Breen, and Jackson can't just be looking at each other in a darkened room thinking, what in the world is going on? So they'll have a liaison there to help out. But Breen thinks they'll be calling it off the monitor. Again, big sports have been called off the monitor before. Yep. And the question now is, moving forward, it's a great cost-saving measure. It you is. want everybody there to be able to see the field. You want to be able to see more than the All-22 if you're Joe Buck. You want to be able to see both end zones, et cetera. Um, but it's a big cost-saving measure, and if it becomes the new normal, you never know. That's interesting, Zubin. Uh, you know, with the, clearly the world is going to change, and so is the world of sports going to change. So uh, he thinks he might be doing this where at, in, a, in a studio somewhere. Would they get? Would they get together? Would his analyst be one place, and he be in uh, in his basement or wherever? What does he anticipate? That's interesting. He didn't mention that, but I would tell you with the previous uh, attempts at doing this in the, in the TV business. Now, again, obviously this was all done pre-pandemic. But in the television business, it's called REMI. It's a uh, short form for remote integration, uh, REMI. And essentially, look, we've, we've aired a Duke basketball game, REMI. And that's one of the last things I thought we'd air a REMI. you got to have some right. Duke, right? I mean, it's Duke. We aired yeah. 2,000 games. But there it was, Duke REMI being done out of a, a closet at ESPN. Like I said, so pre-pandemic, the announcer and the play-by-play guy, or in this case, it'll be three people, but normally, obviously, it's two, uh, in this particular case, pre-pandemic, they would all be in one room. They would have the stats person, like a statistician, that gives them all the trends. And, you know, it's been 4-15 without a basket. They're on a 19-4 run. They'll have that person sitting next to them. And then they'll have, like, the producer and the director will be in-house at ESPN or at Fox or wherever, at ABC, in another location. Now, that's all pre-pandemic. Jeff, Mark, and Mike would be in a room with the stats guy, director, producer, in another room in the same building and on site, you would have minimal. You'd have the camera guys. You'd, like I said, you'd have that liaison. And you might have the on-court reporter there because if somebody goes down with an injury, uh, you could still have the on-court reporter, in this case, you know, Doris Burke, race over and go ask the team trainer, who obviously would be on site with the team, what's going on. So you could actually have an on-camera personnel at the game from a reporter role if there's just something significant that were to happen that needs some explanation. That's pre-pandemic, right? Post-pandemic, I don't know the, uh, the safetyness of having Mark, Mike, and Jeff together in a room, unless the room is 18 feet long and <laughs> six <laughs> feet apart and they're watching a gigantic, you know, 60-foot monitor, that's possible. But I would tell you, pre-pandemic, everybody would be in the same room with small personnel on site, and everybody just discussing it back and forth. The Olympics have done this for a lot of smaller sports. You'll see a lot of Olympic broadcasts called off the monitor. You'd never know because when you're watching most of the events, like an Olympic event, if you're watching a small Olympic event, you never think twice that the play-by-play guy or the former Olympian that's serving as the athlete, you never think twice that you don't see them on camera. You're not thinking about that. You're only thinking about Bob Costas and Mike Tirico on camera. You're never thinking about the play-by-play people. And so when you don't see them because they're in a studio and they're not going to show the studio, it's not that big of a deal. So I have no idea what it would look like post-pandemic, but pre-pandemic, many networks have a ton of experience doing this sort of broadcast. Zubin, we have two more Sunday nights of a couple of parts of The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary. We can get into that here in a moment. But before... ESPN has rolled out three new documentaries that will be coming your way. Lance Armstrong, a two-part series, followed by 
What on Bruce Lee? Yeah, that, that's the one that left me scratching my head. But the one I am most excited about, 1998 Sammy Sosa against Mark McGuire for the home run title. couple of good ones and a head-scratching one. Can you sell me on Bruce Lee? That's an interesting one. I would also say that I'm most excited about the one you're most excited about. Uh, Lance, simply titled, will air May 24th and May 31st. Um, D. Water, which will uh, chronicle the life of Bruce Lee, is June 7th. And the one you're talking about, and the one I'm excited about, Long Gone Summer. The McGuire Sosa home run chase June 14th uh, on ESPN, looking back at the 1998 race. I think a lot of Bruce Lee is two things. One, an entire generation again. You know, I'm 41. You're probably close to that. I know Ken's in his 60s. Bruce Lee is a guy that just we know. But I always think when we air any of these things, how many of our viewers, like, if you have a 20-year-old kid, I mean, they probably don't even remember Sosa McGuire. Right? Mm. <laughs> They're not going to remember yeah. Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sosa McGuire is one of the most indelible images. And, you know, there was a ton of people back then wondering why something called Andro was laying in Mark's locker over his shoulder when people were talking to him. Yep. But at that time, we all remember. I remember Attorney General Janet Reno sitting in her hospital bed. I mean, this is one of the most powerful people in the United States in 1998. She's sitting in a hospital bed asking for updates on Sosa and McGuire. I remember that. <laughs> really? Day. It permeated. Yes. It permeated sports. For me and you and Trent, we're watching sports all the time, and these are two iconic, towering figures. Um, but for a lot of people, this was something they got wrapped up in. So if it's something that people aren't familiar with is Bruce Lee. I don't think they're familiar with McGuire. And I think for the Lance documentary, and this is just a guess, there are so many things in the Jordan documentary. And look, who's been chronicled more than Michael Jordan? I'm sure you guys would probably agree that in almost every episode, you hear something where you're like, really? That happened? <laughs> mm-hmm. This is the most covered guy. Like the 82-0 and comment. I hadn't heard that. Jerry says if you go 82-0, and 0, we're breaking the team up. Really? Some of the mm-hmm. people that have been you know, unlikely superstars in this series, you thought you would have heard of. So if you haven't heard of them surrounding Michael Jordan, my assumption would be, especially around Lance Armstrong, because there's so much controversy, and the McGuire Sosa, you're likely to hear some anecdotes. That's the biggest thing. The bar has been set for Jordan, not just on the storytelling and the honesty and the candor, but it's things that I'd never heard of before. If I watch Lance and I know everything that's in the documentary, I'll be disappointed. If I watch McGuire and Sosa and I recall everything in the conversation, including Big Mac's kid and Sosa in Chicago with the fans, I'll be disappointed. But I think the history has shown that these types of documentaries, they are able to unearth things that we've never seen before. And that's pretty impressive because if you take Bruce Lee out of the equation, Lance Armstrong was covered vigorously mm-hmm. and thoroughly, as were McGuire and Sosa, as were Jordan, yet every week new things pop up. So that's probably the thing I'm looking most forward to. Show me something, tell me something I don't know, and I'm in. Did you, do you know if Lance Armstrong participated in this, Subin? I don't know that. Gotcha. My guess would be, yeah, my guess would be, um, I, I don't know how it could be compelling if he's not in it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, in many ways, he's rebuilt his life. He, he lives in Aspen, Colorado. I've seen him do plenty of media. He is not turned into, That's like, true. Hermit. He's not turned into persona non grata. And to be honest with you, this is an opportunity, depending on how controversial it gets. You know, Michael obviously had, you know, final say on, on the last dance, and I don't know if Lance Armstrong could have last right. say on Lance. I don't know the exact particulars of the deal, but if you look at it the right way, if I'm Lance's PR people, you could easily say, look, this is an absolutely great opportunity without any opportunity of being sued 
or being indicted or anything like that to come tell your story. Is there two sides to every story? Well, now's the time to tell it with no fear of impunity, almost set the record straight, or at least give a counterattack to what so many people have said over the years. If he does that effectively, I'm not going to say he's going to get people on his side and people aren't going to wake up tomorrow and be like, you know what, he wasn't a cheater. (laughs) But I do think it is a great opportunity for him to at least mitigate some of the death. Yeah, certainly looking forward to that. And you mentioned one of those things we did know, of course, the John Wozniak story. I thought uh, he stole, I mean, he didn't steal it, but certainly he was one of the uh, biggest takeaways from this past weekend, the uh, security guard that he threw dice with, and they became so close. Uh, And Wozniak, who died of uh, colon cancer, was on Michael Jordan's payroll uh, right up until the day died. But I want to go to the Dream Team with you, Zubin, because... I mean, what it did for the game of basketball and putting these guys on the map. And one of the um, the nuggets, maybe, that I didn't remember was Jordan going out of his way to cover up the Reebok logo uh, in the medal presentation. And he wanted no part of being pictured wearing anything but Nike. And now that picture is not going to go away for uh, at any time. Uh, and how he was able to do it, he just didn't put a piece of tape off because that wouldn't look good. He walked out draped in an American flag and nobody was going to tell you to take that flag off yourself no i mean that was one of the more indelible images of that 92 dream team also when you think about it uh, it doesn't seem like much of a battle today because i think when young people see that story uh they're intrigued by it but i specifically remember watching that and the thing about that was i don't think people remember at this particular time what a competitor reebok used to be with nike When you watch it today, it's sort of like, yeah, well, it's Reebok. Well, today, Under Armour, Adidas, Puma, all of these brands have sort of come to the forefront and tried to challenge Nike. But at that time, Nike had one main challenger, and it was Reebok. Adidas was always big in the soccer world, but in 1992, we were two years away from even hosting the first World Cup, and there's still a lot of evidence to say that soccer hasn't broken through in America. So while Adidas was a huge worldwide brand, it wasn't that big here in the States. Uh, remember, Reebok had the Dan and Dave. They were involved yep. in the Olympics. They were trying to do everything to counterbalance with Nike. So I thought that was just a move that essentially said, look, right now in the shoe game, you have one competitor, and that one competitor happens to be closing the U.S. Olympic team. So they did what they had to do. One good thing about the special that I wanted to, I think, go back into memory lane, I think I'm 41, so I've always lived in an era where Nike was just totally dominant. I mean, totally. And I think the special did a really good job of indicating how niche of a brand Nike was before they kind of collided with Michael Jordan and things started going the right direction and they started getting into apparel and golf clubs and Tiger Woods and all these people, Kobe Bryant, that ended up endorsing Nike. But I think it was an interesting sort of sidelight in the special to say, hey, one of these great, huge, monolithic, athletic brands that you see today, it's omnipotent, it's everywhere in the world. Before we signed Michael Jordan, we really weren't anything at all. And that's something that you kind of think about. You think about Nike's just been around for so long, but there was a time where it was just Phil Knight selling stuff out of the back of his trunk. Hmm. I'm not saying that's where the special took it on Sunday, but it's a good reminder at how Jordan not just lifted the NBA, but really lifted business. Zubin, we got four parts left of this. Is there something lingering that you want to see them delve deeper into, something we haven't seen that you think is going to fill these four parts? I know there's so many different directions they still can go with this documentary. Well, the breakup's got to be part of it, right? Yeah, that that's certainly going to be there. But what still sits on the table for you? 
Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see that. The breakup to me is essentially what, you know, I think is the biggest one out there. There's that old saying in sports that, uh, you know, things end badly or they would never end, right? <laughs> things always end badly or they would never end. You look at it with the Warriors. Did they have to break apart when they did? Did the Bulls have to break apart when they did? Uh, even to some degree, the Cubs, you know, did the Cubs have to break apart the way that they did? And I think fans can't see beyond the sort of optics of their team. But I look at it from the Bulls standpoint and say to myself, from a localized standpoint, I don't think they're going to get there. And I don't know if there's going to be an epilogue. But to truly appreciate how good they were, I think, and I have no idea if it's going to happen, uh, in, in, in major form. But I think in order to also, in retrospect, understand and really appreciate, I think we all understand watching it, but to truly appreciate how great they were, there has to be a localization from your standpoint. There has to be a, and then Tim Floyd walked in, right? <laughs> there has to be a, how bad was that? I mean, they were down there. I mean, there's a, there's an old stat that when LeBron left the Cavs to go to the Heat and then rejoin the Cavs the second occasion, in that middle period when he left for Miami and came back to Cleveland, that's the Cavs had the worst record in the NBA collectively in that time that LeBron left to go to Miami, eventually returning to win the title. And I think people look at the Bulls in that shape. As bad as the Bulls have been here recently, Tibbs took them to five straight playoff appearances, but obviously this guard pack, Jim Boylan situation has been a disaster. But as the numbers indicate, nothing is bad as when Tim Floyd took over uh, in the late 90s. So I think from your perspective, even though I think Floyd is probably more remembered as a college coach, obviously in your state, but even around the country since he made so many stops, New Orleans, Idaho, USC, UTEP, Iowa State, I think he's probably referred to more as a college coach. But that tenure in Chicago taking over after Phil uh, and coming from where he came from, right? We got we got Iowa State's coach. Like, what, what's going on here? I think that has to be explored more deeply, not to embarrass Tim Floyd, who is now definitely retired, and not to embarrass the late Jerry Krause or Jerry Reinsdorf, but to truly say, look what happens when you fall off the cliff. Then you realize how high the cliff once was. So I have no idea if they're going to do that, uh, if that's where they want to go or are going to go or even thought about it or if it's just going to be, you know, constricted to the Bulls and the actual last dance, not post-last dance. But I actually think that would be a really, really interesting comparative point. I just hope it doesn't end like Game of Thrones did. (laughs) (laughs) It was just crushed. Uh, Anyway, Zubin, last thing for you. The the NFL schedule comes out tomorrow. Um, Any guesstimate how much ESPN and SportsCenter will spend talking, and all the, uh, the magazine shows will end up talking about the NFL schedule 2020 uh, in the next week. Guessing it's going to be a topic. Yeah, in your, in your vernacular, take the over. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, I just think whatever it's going to be, uh, you know, I just think, you know, who will play the first game in the history of the Las Vegas Raiders? Who will their opponent be? Who are the Chiefs going to play on Thursday night? Mm-hmm. I could talk myself in and out of the past. 20 times. I think that's just so fascinating. You know, Brady and Breeze, one of two, where are they going to play? Monday night, Sunday night, on Fox. How many Fox games are the Bucs going to play in after being irrelevant for 20 years? I can talk myself into Stidham. Mm. The one thing I guys I heard about Stidham, you know, who knows? Once the Broncos lost Tebow and Manning, Jim Nance and Phil Sidham stopped showing up, and maybe Jim Tony will stop showing up for the Pats if they indeed win just eight or nine games and aren't a big factor. But think about this from Stidham's standpoint. I heard somebody say this the other day in terms of Pats. They feel a lot like the Browns in the sense of, I just got to see what this looks like. They're in different pole positions. The Browns are coming up to 7-8 in one year. They had a lot of momentum. They got OBJ. People were just like, I got to see what this looks like. And I think that's going to be the same for the Pats, for a team that had Stidham throw four passes 
last year. I just got to see what this looks like. Again, to go to the younger viewers, there's viewers that have spent their entire lives not seeing the Pats quarterback by anybody other than Tom Brady signs that one year with Matt Castle. But if you, if you do it right, I think you could sell Stidham really well on Thursday night against Mahomes. Stidham was a high school stud in Texas, committed to Cliff Kingsbury at Texas Tech, and then saw the guy that was playing for Kingsbury at the time <laughs> throwing the ball all over the yard. That was Mahomes. He's like, <laughs> I ain't playing here. So he decommitted, went to Baylor. Program fell apart. I'm not playing much right now in Waco. Went to Auburn, had a cup of coffee, went right to the NFL, and threw four passes and backed up Tom Brady. So there's an aspect of, yeah, it's a great story, the dynasty of the Chiefs. But if they believe in Stidham the way people say they do because they didn't draft a quarterback, and you're like, what's this guy all about? You could really introduce the country to this guy. He, to me, is as intriguing as Tua or Burrow or Herbert or Love or any of the other young quarterbacks hmm. who have drafted this year. But he's just as intriguing. And if you sell the story of he kind of got bumped by Mahomes the one, never got to establish himself in either college stop, and really hasn't established himself in the NFL to any degree, and the greatest coach of all time is saying, you know what, I see something in this guy. I think that could be a very interesting selling point for opening night. Yeah, it's going to be a blast. So we cannot wait for that. And just, just to your point on uh, on Manning and Sims not getting back to Denver, uh, or or Nance rather in Sims not getting back to Denver. It, it, it's well taken, Zubin. I I can't over the last couple of years it's seen me every time I tune in. It's Spiro Didis and James Lofton <laughs> on, the, on the call. Oh man, uh, Zubin, great stuff as always. Thank you. We'll talk to you in a week's time. Appreciate it, Zubin Mahente. Safe, safe, yeah, you do the same. Zuba Mahente from ESPN as we talk uh, the world of sports with Zubin. We'll take our final time out. We'll come back, wrap things up on a Wednesday. Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460, KXNO and 106- World Whiskey of the Year. Wednesday, it's Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNOs. We take you right up until, well, a couple of minutes left. By the way, tip of the cap and a big thank you, nurses out there. It is National Nurses Day today, so tip of the cap and a... Uh, thank you for what you and uh, all the frontline uh, healthcare workers have done through this National Nurses Day. Thank you, nurses. Absolutely. Very well put, Ken. And uh, with that... Got a couple of trivia questions. So I got my little daily calendar here that I have in my studio. Was that in your Christmas stocking? It or? was, okay. yes. And you know my love of Jeopardy. It's a Jeopardy, a sports Jeopardy. Okay. A daily ca- calendar. Last couple Horse of days, racing though. for a thousand. Have you well, come across that? And, that? and that's what I have here. So I have three Triple Crown cocktails. Now, the first one, the $200 clue, this was from Monday. This race's signature cocktail naturally uses bourbon. Okay. Yep. Kentucky Derby, easy. Mm-hmm. The $600 clue. The drink of choice for the Preakness shares its name with the official flower of Maryland. Whoa. Uh, it's the Black-Eyed Susan, and uh, that, I don't know. That's the correct answer. That's the, that's, there's a drink called that's, the Black-Eyed there's Susan? There's a drink as well. Oh, okay. Well, I got the flower. So I got those two correct. Here's, so you're up to what? You got 800 in your account? Yeah, I was good there. But then I get to today's clue. Answer. I'll do my best, Trebek. This race's jewel uses the same base as the Derby, but adds sweet and sour flavor. I'd never heard of this before. This race's jewel uses the same base as the Derby, but adds sweet and sour flavor. I have no 
idea. The Belmont Stakes. Well, okay. I thought you wanted me to name the drink. Right. But so it's... I don't know. It's a bourbon-based drink, but with sweet and sour? Because that sounds delicious. I'm a, beer, I, I'm a beer guy. You're a beer guy. No cocktails for you. Have you had a mint julep? I have, just to try, and it tasted like gasoline. They're not good. Oh, they're terrible. Oh, I mean, I've people, people buy them for the glass, so you, right? because right. it's, it's the souvenir glass. But outside of that... Oh, they're, they're, they're god-awful, Trent. Do you know anybody that likes them? That enjoy that actually would have one if it's not Derby Day? No. no. <laughs> well, yeah, some, somebody over, what do you want? To, uh, give me, yeah. Uh, no. I uh, tried a mint julep. We were on our honeymoon, mm-hmm. open bar, of course, one of those uh, resorts that you can have anything. And oh. what'd you have? Beer? I wanted, I wanted, well, yeah, usually it was El Presidente as we are in the Dominican. Oh, mint julep. I've always wanted to try one of those. So I had it in the pool, walk up or swim up bar. How refreshing. <laughs> that one got left at the side yeah, of the Yeah, I'm like, this is not what I was going for. They're disgusting. They're terrible. I don't get it. I, I do not get the love for them. But uh, again, I guess a part of the tradition. Right. Anyways, uh, Murph and Andy are coming up at two. Now tomorrow, by the way, oh, yeah, Fanatics at four. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to get back into our, we got restaurant radio tomorrow. We're full, which is great. Yes. Uh, and then we're going to get back into our, you know, some of the better teams in the state of Iowa. Jeff Horner's going to join us tomorrow. Yep. We're going to look back at the 2005-2006 Iowa basketball team. Horner will be with us at about 1135. Good. How's he doing, by the way? He's doing really well health Excellent. Excellent. All right. As we mentioned, Murph and Andy, two fanatics at four. Morning rush tomorrow at six. We're Miller and Condon. 10 to noon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM.